Welcome, friends and fiends, to a new episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. I am excited about this one because this pairing is Robo Rumble. This is part one of two. And today we're going to be talking about robot movies, giant robot movies to be specific. Uh, pretty interesting stuff, I will say. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, with me, I'm, 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 of course, your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff. And we have Tad Mastrioni here. How are you doing, Tad? I think I'm dying. Dying? Yeah, he's got a cold, but he's the trooper and he's here. Uh, and I am without my Adderall, which feels like terribleness. So enjoy this. I'm just kidding. I think you're dying. Me. My brain says it. It's dying. <laughs> uh, but okay. So this first part is our mainstream feature, and it is Bumblebee from 2018. I've been looking forward to talking about this one because... I feel like it's sort of an oddball in the Transformers entry, and there's a lot to talk about regarding it. It's directed by Travis Knight. It's his first live action feature. He uh, previously worked in animated films, still does uh, for Leica. He, uh, I don't know if he's still with Leica, but he still does animated films. He directed Kubo, uh, which was quite excellent, though very, very depressing. Uh, and it's written by Christina Hodson, who wrote... Um, Birds of Prey, which I personally loved as a DC fan. I thought it was one of my, by far, one of the best from DC. So it's got an interesting pedigree. Um, it has an interesting cast as well. It's a sort of, not early, but middle era uh, role by John Cena, former pro wrestler. Stars Haley Steinfeld, singer and sort of Nickelodeon Disney Channel vibe actress uh, in one of her one of her bigger roles as the lead. She's also the first female lead in a Transformers movie. And we have a fair number of other familiar faces uh, around here, but no one that uh, the average moviegoer would probably know by name beyond those stars that I just listed. So, <clears throat> Bumblebee. It is, of course, starring Bumblebee from Transformers, the yellow Volkswagen bug that was a mainstay of both the original animated series and the Michael Bay produced, he also produced this one, but the Michael Bay led Transformers movies that started with Sheila Booth and ended with Mark Wahlberg. So before we get into this, I want to start, I, I just want to talk a little bit about Transformers. So we on, on the panel love the Transformers. I grew up, the Transformers was, it was, it was Ninja Turtles, G.I. Joe and Transformers. Those were my, those were my, you know, uh, digs. I absolutely loved it. All everything about it. Transformers sort of was the most depressing and bleak of all kids' cartoons, uh, serial cartoons ever. Uh, it dealt with two warring factions that are essentially exactly the same, except for how they name themselves, and they destroyed their own planet, and now they're bringing their war to Earth. It's pretty. It's pretty sad. And the movies have the same plot for the most part. Michael Bay, of course, launched. The live action series uh michael bay not my favorite personally um but he has directed some decent things the graphics were of course amazing uh the interesting hyper complicated designs that they went with for the film franchise which are still present here uh to a big extent were impressive there was humor there also was hyper sexualization of women um really stupid 
script points that luckily the breakneck speed of action sort of just glossed over. And uh, great, we still have and had through those Peter Cullen as the voice of Optimus Prime, leader of the heroic Autobots, which is fantastic because he's, of course, been the voice uh, essentially forever. He's voiced Optimus Prime in every theatrical release of a Transformers movie, animated and otherwise. Just a really incredible voice. So this movie stars Bumblebee. Is it a prequel, because it takes place in the 80s, to the uh, Michael Bay series? No, it is actually a reboot. And people say, well, it's a soft reboot. Not really. It's actually a total reboot. Um, if you watch the God gajillion sequels to the Michael Bay Transformers, that series was the last movie. I can't even remember what it was called. Uh, it wasn't Age of Extinction. It was The Last Night, I think. Great battle scenes horrendous film terrible film uh it just if you haven't seen it i just want to describe one scene to you one of the worst scenes to have ever been in a science fiction action movie ever uh it is in a submarine of some kind i don't even remember the details but i remember that mark Wahlberg is in it and as is his love interest which is yet another you know placeholder uh woman didn't have any bearing on the story and a robot butler uh jettisons himself out of the sub catches a giant fish comes back in and is singing as he's beating the fish against the wall so he can prepare it and make a romantic dinner for mark Wahlberg and this generic love interest that they wrote now this is a transformers movie it is theoretically about giant robots battling across the planet earth yet we're spending how long of a film watching Mark Wahlberg make the like uncomfortable faces he makes uh, at a, 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 a paper doll uh, while a robot cooks a fish? Like this is, it was the dumbest, most insane, inane garbage I could possibly imagine putting on screen. Uh, and, and it was just awful. So this movie, and of course it was also the least earning. So the franchise was, I wouldn't say struggling because they made a ton of money, but they cost a lot of money. So Bumblebee was the supposedly with Michael Bay's like permission. I don't think he cared one way or the other, frankly. I don't know why he would. It's it was a reboot. And it's a reboot because it actually changes, it goes against the story of the original Michael Bay films. So in this one, Cybertron, the planet that the Transformers are from, is you know being taken over by the Decepticons. The Autobots are losing. So Bumblebee is sent to Earth to sort of lay low uh, until the others can join him and they can form a resistance base there to eventually take back Cybertron from the Decepticons. Well, of course, some Decepticons are sent to find uh, Optimus Prime, the leader, and they find Bumblebee instead. They think they're together, but they're not. So Bumblebee is one of those movies where the lead character has amnesia. Okay, Bumblebee loses his voice, much like in the original Michael Bay series. So he talks through a radio. Uh, snippets and he doesn't have his memory so he's kind of a bumbling <laughs> cowardly giant friendly robot uh that Haley Stanfield's character befriends uh and sort of her best friend that helps her overcome the loss of her father if this sounds like a weird coming of age movie for Transformers it's, exa it's exactly that it's a coming of age movie with Bumblebee as the you know um Johnny Five short circuit moment uh, it's it's that. So, Tad, what did you expect going into this? Because I don't think you'd seen this before, correct? I have not. I had seen everything up to Dark of the Moon, the third one, 
in case people don't know, which was for me actually my favorite, even though it wasn't the, bad. Yeah. The first time I watched Dark of the Moon, I swear that it had lasted three hours. Is that a three hour movie? Do you know? It's pretty long. Um, it's, it's pretty long. long. Let me, I can pull it up. But they're all, they're all, until this one, they've all been fair, fairly long. And, and a little, sometimes a little too long because everyone knows how much right. I love long movies that meander. <laughs> um, I was actually pretty impressed because within the first five minutes, I went, wow, I'm actually watching a Transformers movie. Right. You know, as, it opens as opposed, with no human beings. Yes, there are no humans. There is actually robot on robot fighting. It actually felt like an, an, uh, an, a, a, an accurate translation of the cartoon that we grew up with where there were lasers going off and people talking about, we need to, you know, form a, yeah, form a resistance. Uh, Decepticons are taking over. That's, that's usually the theme of the whole show. Oh, it it was fantastic. We even get Ravage, the cassette Decepticon coming out for some battle. I mean, it's cool. Uh, It is, it is, I remember seeing in theater and being like, oh, this is it. And while the, the designs of um, the Autobots and Decepticons have additional details uh, that are pretty complex, like the original Michael Bay films. The design of everyone is the Distinct. classic. It's the and it's except for Bumblebee. It's the classic kind of Generation One Transformers from the show, and that is super awesome to see, that especially a, Optimus Prime. I mean, if anyone, I I don't have we. I, I can't remember. Have we done a podcast about any other Transformers film? Because I feel like I have beaten this horse to death we did we did the animated transformers film uh the original oh i missed with, that uh, one i missed yes I, but one one thing that i have complained about ever since 2007 when the original you know new one came out mm-hmm. is that at some point everything smears together because they were insistent on this weird uh amalgamation of like making transformers uh robots but also sort of like biomechanical where their lips moved and and every like Optimus Prime pulling that thing, whatever that face mask is that he always has, like the shredder yeah. mask. I want to call it the shredder mask. Yes, yes. I hated that. At, that yeah. Back then, I hated that. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Please stop. It, it was an point, intent to. It was intent to humanize them, but it's kind of like don't, you should don't feel want, for them anyway. I don't right. want giant robots to be humanized. That's that's kind of the whole thing. But you remember, we I am pretty sure you and I actually went and see saw Transformers 2 in theaters uh, with the giant pendulous balls and everything. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you could tell when the special effects money ran out and everything started (laughs) to blur together. And at one point, I turned to you and went, did Megatron just get stabbed in the head? But it wasn't Megatron. Mm-hmm. It was just the five other robots yeah. that exactly like him because they made no effort to distinguish who was who. This is a movie where I actually I was like, hey, these actually look like the Transformers they're supposed to, and there's some distinction between them, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Not only that, but everyone kind of had multiple forms. You know, like they go from supercars to helicopters, and that's much more interesting than just saying they only have one mode because that's never been the case. Everyone's always had right. like variants. So, but yep. the only, the, the, the other thing that I was, well, I can't say I'm surprised because this came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that um, much like a lot of stuff that's coming out now wants to remind you of the era it's in, which is really funny sure. because the eighties is one of those only periods where they need to consistently 
make you have little reminders, whether it's a musical cue or a visual cue that, hey, it's the 80s. Hey, do you remember the 80s? Because you know what, like the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, they don't have that. It is just a period piece, and they just let the sets and the costumes and the music speak for itself. Yeah, there, there are more so, visual cues. There's so many cues that I'm like, okay, I get it. This is the 80s. It's the same as <laughs> like reading Ernest Cline's books. Right. And go, wow, is it the 80s? Do you really love the 80s? I don't know. I can't tell. Maybe you should give me some more fucking references. It's interesting that you should mention Ernest Klein because, of course, Ernest Klein is the author of Ready Player One, which Spielberg then turned into the movie Ready Player One, and which didn't do as well as they'd hoped. And um, in that, there is a, there is actually the Iron Giant, and there are references to the Iron Giant. And this movie also has Iron Giant parallels, and it's intentional. Travis Knight ended up pulling tons. You can go look it up. He'll talk to you about the multiple scenes where he said, I took this from this movie and tried to create it with these characters. And so it's interesting. It also creates, much like you said, a sort of a vibe of, I, I didn't say it as bad, but it is a, we know what this is supposed to be. And it sometimes detracts from what's actually supposed to be happening. Um, and And that was one of the complaints. So when I first saw this in theaters, I adored it because I was so happy to see in many ways, the most faithful live action transform, not even in many ways, it is the most faithful live action Transformers film in that uh, the characters appear, except for Bumblebee, uh, as they did in the show. Uh, the, the vibe is different. The way they interact with people is different, right? It's sort of a humans are like the friendly, like, whoops, uh, guess you spotted me. Well, I guess we can be friends now uh, vibe. And also the little bit of, of of comicalness with seriousness. Like, it's got the Saturday morning cartoon vibe. Interestingly, and this is actually, the story is sort of lifted from uh, a short arc in the Marvel Comics series, I believe, of Transformers. Uh, somebody could ping us if that's the, if it wasn't the Marvel series. I'm pretty sure it was, though. And it wasn't Bumblebee who was stuck on Earth and lost his memory, but it's very similar, you know, the similar kind of story. And so it was nice to see so much of the original stuff pulled for this. And it was nice to see a Bumblebee as a Volkswagen bug, because interestingly, Volkswagen denied uh, the request uh, in the Michael Bay films to use the Volkswagen bug because they said the films were too violent. They didn't want it to be associated with that, whereas they had licensed it for the original Transformers cartoon. And uh, but this one, they went back to them and they said, yes, this would be great. Why don't you go ahead and use that? And I can see that because this film, unlike Michael Bay's film, where he shoehorned in as much as I like this sort of extreme violence between the robots, like it's pretty gruesome uh, in many ways. And I love that as an adult. But there, like I said, there was this extreme sexuality. I mean, every woman that was in a is in a Michael Bay movie in general, but especially Transformers, like they went so far out of the way to show us. Megan Fox's like butt cheeks in every outfit she wore not her fault beautiful woman that's fine but like it was so pervasive just like his you know rendition of the Ninja Turtles where she plays April O'Neil that it's it's like farcical and I don't think he understands farce so it's not intentional um the titillation is just so shoehorned in that it's 
it, it just it feels disrespectful to women not because they're showing women as sexy or showing their bodies but because it's like a complete lack of understanding that women are human and they can actually have character interactions like a human so bizarre that's not the case here we get like zero sexualization across the board um you heard it here get... first michael bay you call in to this podcast and that's for right. the 600th time you need to answer the question of do you actually understand the crap that you make <laughs> yeah i mean and i try not i mean i i was gonna say i try not to um to crap on him but i i guess i don't um in many ways but it's an institution uh, at this point <laughs> uh yeah i mean so i mean come on whatever any any time paul ws anderson comes up you know it's the same conversation unless mm -hmm. it's event horizon right or i would say death race uh was was enjoyed <laughs> but it was no event horizon so okay <clears throat> and, and of course the voice acting in here is actually pretty good we have angela bassett um justin Theroux. i already mentioned peter Collin, dylan o'brien uh, a lot good stuff but uh we also i just have to throw it out there we see rc for the first time in a Transformers movie, that was cool because RC is essentially the only clearly feminine, I should say, Autobot woman, uh, but who knows. And there is, they did give you um, Shatter in this as a woman, uh, voiced by Angela Bassett, but it was nice to see RC. And I will tell you this now, listeners, this is part one of the new Transformers film that is coming out, Transformers rise of the beasts where we get some beast wars mixed in there with optimus primal um cheeto all the all that stuff so while but none of the crew none of the directing writing crew from bumblebee is to my knowledge involved in transformers rise of the beast so i'm curious to see where they go with it because i i'm not sure i'm not sure the tone because it's not a continuation it's, it just happens in the same universe right it's a later time period um, within the same universe but it will be nice to see optimus primal and optimus prime side by side that'll be fun back that to the point weird it is going to be real weird uh but i am excited for it i'm going to give it a chance if nothing else giant robots fighting that's one thing i'll say that bumblebee didn't quite have enough of was giant robots fighting we get it in the beginning we get a couple of little battles and then we get a lot of sort of the the teen coming of age light coming of age drama throughout the middle until the, the ending climax um i'm under the impression uh, oh. that this didn't have quite the budget that the other ones did it but didn't. it's it also but it, this is also one of those stories where i was okay with it focusing on the interaction mm -hmm. between transformers and humans and spending a lot of time with humans because that was kind of the whole point whereas right. they tried to do this in the original and i'm like what is the point of this why is well why is sam uh, here why is sam important it turns out he's not yeah and i mean sam witwicky played by um i always say his name wrong and at this point it's i just gotta go with it uh sheila booth it's child <laughs> but I, I he um you know he's a very funny comedic actor uh despite all of his insane personal problems in the past few years but he his, again, it was a Michael Bayification, right? In the original series, Sam Witwicky is a child, uh, and his dad is the adult human uh, that sort of, you know, helps the Autobots occasionally. But that's that's sort of, as you said, that's sort of tossed out the window for this because 
we get instead this sweet, like my pet robot, my pet alien kind of vibe. And eventually Bumblebee does get his memory back and, and starts to kick some ass and we get some fun fights. I will say also, my John Cena is in this. When I saw this in theaters, mind you, this is before Suicide Squad, Peacekeeper, et cetera. When I saw this in theaters, I came out of it, and I'm going to say my second different experience, but I was like, John Cena did not do a good job. He was the worst actor in the bunch. But watching it again, he may be the most inexperienced actor, but I actually blame the script for a lot of it. Because he's given that same kind of villain. He's at first he's given the same military villain role that uh, was so unbelievably ham-fisted in Avatar, right? Like the the um, just hard-ass, you know, stock standard, wild-eyed. Like he's given this ridiculous characterization of uh, a military general, and watching it again, I'm kind of like, oh. He's doing what he's told, and that's the problem, right? I, I take less of my umbrage with him uh, because he actually delivered some hilariously comical lines pretty well. Uh, I, I, I saw you nodding and, and some not nodding there. What was your take? I don't think he needed to be in the movie, I think is the biggest problem. You need a little star power, and John Cena has... Uh, was He's been in military thrillers before and uh yeah. they were early 2000s weren't they it's you know it's, it's like mm -hmm. that's that's a that's an easy jumping point when you're a wwf wwe superstar or something like that you go sure. you, you, you 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 uh like well just draft you as a marine. was it the marine is that what he he was yeah in anyway exactly yeah. he was in the marine series and but you're yeah i mean john Cena's is not a bad actor per se but he is definitely one of those guys where he can only fit into certain roles kind of like how the rock can only fit into certain roles right you have to throw him in some like when you have a a dude who's like six four and jacked. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to throw him in as a military dude, or are you going to throw him in as a single dad? You obviously they tried <laughs> that, yeah, and it's awkward and weird, and it kind of doesn't make sense when they do it because they've tried to do this with multiple wrestlers. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure that I can't remember what the plot of Mister Nanny was, but they tried to throw Hulk Hogan in that <laughs> and then they tried it with Vin yes. Diesel, and then they tried it with right. The Rock. The Tooth and, Fairy, and, yeah. Yeah, every time it's like, okay, it's funny the first time. And then the fifth time, I'm like, what are you, what, what is the point here? Um, he wasn't my biggest problem. You know what, I, you know what my biggest yeah. problem, Nate, was? Mm -hmm. You know how unrealistic it is to have two teenagers in the 80s who have no chemistry whatsoever and still... Yeah like sort of they, the the plot is forcing them to try and sort yes. of have some chemistry and in the end the movie ends with them like like him trying to like touch her hand and she's like i'm not ready for that i'm yet i'm like you're a 17 year old in the 80s mm -hmm. i'm not ready for that what the fuck so most of, the, most of the movies in the 80s were you were desperately trying to keep two 17 year olds from fusing at the hip like yeah. I, get I get it like you can't really do that in movies as much as you used to be able to but still that's reality is you have to literally be like no stop right well it's interesting so because it's i think jarring there's a uh, so i have a theory on this because much like john cena's role uh with except for some delivery of some funny jokes um which i did legitimately laugh at a couple of them like when uh uh our lead stepdad 
is um, talking to him because he's like, I'm CIA, your daughter's stolen some important tech, whatever. He's like, you got to be honest, hon. Like, really, you got to be honest. He's like, I, I stole something once. I stole a pack of Malamars. And John Cena just dead man goes, we know. Like, just like, we know. Uh, and, and that's hilarious. Um, and he did it well. And it was edited well that way to, to give you, they didn't sit with it too long or anything. But so the end of the movie where the romance is sort of denied in a way is, or cut short, it's clear that they were like, we do not want this to be about a girl needing a boy at the end, right? But the problem is that they have the boy. Why? He didn't have to be there. That's he doesn't actually do anything. The um, whole, like, it, ultimately, Nathan, you're more Transformers-y than me. Was there any romance whatsoever, human side, in any of the Transformers media, in the cartoon, in the comics, anything? Uh, so I mean, why... in the comics, in the comics, but I don't, but I mean, we're talking real, like, minor. This is not... Uh... So then... I mean, this has been a trope going on for so long, and people have talked about it at length many, many times, is what is the point of having a romantic story in a movie when there's no payoff to it? Like, is this going to carry over to the next movie? No. Is this going to have some payoff in the movie? No. What's the fucking point? It doesn't get asses in seats. It's just dull, boring, and wastes time. Yeah, and we're talking about um, uh, the character Mimo. The, the lead, Haley Sanfield, is named Charlie. And uh, Mimo is the guy that is pining after her. And he's played by Jorge Lendeborg Jr., who had a smaller part in Spider-Man Homecoming as a, a classmate, I believe, Jason, right? Uh, but it's it's not his fault in any... He actually seems to have some comedic chops, I think, but he's given, like, nothing. He's, and they gave, him, they gave him nothing. They also went nowhere and it's like you guys could have just cut it out why did you bother and yeah so i agree the biggest issues that i had watching because okay i like this movie i will start there i actually enjoy this movie i think there's enough of the things that i really wanted in transformers uh the live action series that i wasn't getting from the michael bay ones here to make me to make me enjoy it but you know often especially with a feature like this with the effects even though they're much downscaled from you know, the uh, original, not original, the Michael Bay movies, um, they're still impressive. They're excellent. The robots look great. Uh, seeing it on the big screen is awesome. And you can forgive a lot. You don't notice a lot, right? You're waiting to see what happens. Also, the soundtrack, the 80s soundtrack is pretty excellent in this movie. Uh, and also, they have the touch, uh, which is, of course, uh, the the theme from the uh, original yeah, dad's tapping his nose here if you're watching the video. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> I, I enjoyed that. Um, but when you see it a second time, the problems and weaknesses do pop out. Uh, I had a similar thing. I think this is a better movie overall, but I had a similar thing with um, James Wan's Aquaman, right? Love Jason Momoa. I thought Black Manta was excellent. I thought his look and everything was excellent. I enjoyed the movie overall. I liked a lot of the effects. Um, but watching it again, outside of the confines of the theater, it's the, the script is riddled with problems. Uh, or just, not even problems, things that should have been done better because you could do it better without any real effort. Or, you know, it's just not written that well. Here's where we get some of the problems with Bumblebee. A lot of the interactions between the characters, because many of the characters don't have a purpose in the movie, is stock. Like, Charlie's mother... 
is is you know she lost her father her mother has found a new guy with this seemingly nice but doofy guy and charlie also has a little brother who's a monster uh jason drucker plays him otis and it's just really it's very not even stereotypical it's just very cliche and they're you know the mom is like supposed to seem nice but she's actually really kind of obnoxious like she dismisses she just doesn't really give her daughter any attention and her daughter by the same token is seemingly for the audience probably overly negative and nasty we do get a nice scene that they give her where she starts crying in the car is like i feel like i'm a drain on everyone like I'm, she addresses the the sort of faults in her current character uh but it's it's a real moment that doesn't play quite as well with the rest of the, the that's too lighthearted, too surface level and so it just feels it's just too by the numbers it doesn't mean it's terrible but some of the things they say it's like when um it's like when somebody at a computer in a thriller movie goes we're running out of time and i'm working as fast as i can like you don't ever need to hear that again i never ever if you have that in your script or book you just tear that page out you just delete <laughs> it you never write that there are things in this movie where they do that and um and here's where i think it comes from so as i said the the script was credited to christina hodson now christina hodson as i said wrote birds of prey i think birds of prey this is the dc movie with harley quinn uh where they sort of form the birds of prey group uh it i think the script was great the humor was great uh it really was sort of dc's in attempt to sort of answer deadpool in many ways it had the right characters uh despite being review bombed by trolls who uh hate women i don't, I don't know what that's about but uh it was it was good the script was solid either if you didn't like it it wasn't because the script wasn't well written I don't, I see snippets of it in Bumblebee, but there's other elements that don't jive, namely the like pretty raw, pretty heavily wrought teen drama going on. And here's what is interesting. It's not credited, which is not super uncommon uh, in these because people have contracts that maybe say, I'm the only one that should be credited if you, if you have me write the script, blah, blah, blah. But Haley Stanfield said uh, in an interview that because she she was in uh the movie edge of 17 the edge of 17 which was written directed by uh forget her name I, I have it in my notes i'm prepared i promise uh, it was written and directed by kelly freeman craig okay now kelly freeman craig is also the writer director for the uh new adaptation the film adaptation of are you there god it's me margaret okay so this she's got a big movie and edge of 17 was well received uh she's she's big in the sort of teen teen movie game right i mean she was given this super famous judy bloom book to do uh and she she did it and so we'll see how it goes but she apparently according to Haley stanfield rewrote the script now she's not credited with it but she probably did, especially since she, Haley Stanford would know because they have a working relationship together. And uh, 
it rings true then why we have this weird mix of like solid sort of action movie with a comical presence uh, where there was still a plot and some character development, but it's plot driven. And then you get this teen drama that just like unevenly patches its way over the whole thing. And I'm like, that's the problem. That's the problem. You had probably a decent script by Christina Hodson that would feel more even. And then you had uh, changes from, um, uh, you know, Kelly Freeman Craig, that interestingly, I think she could have, given her pedigree, could have written an interesting script with the same concept all on her own. But they're not similar writers. They do not make similar movies on the whole. So when you cram that together, you get bits and pieces that have been punched up, quote unquote, by Kelly Freeman Craig that feel different. And then you get other pieces that have probably been wiped down or, or uh, smoothed out, made less extreme or uh aggressive or um you know r-rated i'm not gonna i wouldn't say that but that you know level they've upped to the ante with christina hodson's script they probably dumbed that down when they worked in the teen stuff and the teen stuff then probably got in the way of some of the humor and action that's why it's very difficult to get a movie made in hollywood because you have producers who don't like certain things based on what they think an audience will want okay so when you think the audience wants all of these separate elements and you cram them together into a pre-existent property by the way that already has its own rules regulations guides and pre-existing content you're pretty much guaranteed to have an imperfect script and an imperfect film and that's what happened here i can clearly see the fingerprints of kelly freeman craig and christina dodson not quite jelly that's my belief on this. I think that because they're probably they're both decent writers, it came out okay, but it was it is imperfect because of that reason. So, you know, kudos to to both of them for giving it a solid shot. But I would personally, for my tastes, I would really love to see what Christina Hodson's original Untouched script looked like. You know, because... we sure are nitpicking a movie that we both actually really liked. It's true. And I mean, that's what we do on this podcast, right? Um, but I did like it. And it made me really happy because I felt like it brought Transformers to a place where it needed to be, right? You got rid of a lot of elements that were not really right for uh, it in the Michael Bay series, but you kept some of the things that worked. I'll say the last thing here before we move on to recommendations. I wish that they kept a little bit more of the original Bumblebee design from the cartoon. It's not that this is bad. I think this is actually quite excellent. I think he does is very good. He has a the battle mask that we've talked about a little bit with these two, where his face is kind of human looking uh, generally, and then he has this battle mask that looks like a wasp, or a, in this case, I know it's supposed to be a bee, but it's very insectoid when he goes to battle. That's kind of fun. I'm like, that's one of those changes that's actually a little interesting to me. Um, but you know, I could have gone with the boxy head. I could have gone with a couple of other things, and. Uh, and keeping the trend of the Michael Bay movies, we still see one robot get sliced in half by a sword. So uh, there you go. Let's move <laughs> on to recommendations. Tad, would you recommend 2018's Bumblebee to viewers? And if so, why and to who? I would. And it's a hard recommendation because how actually, Nate, how well did this movie do? 
I don't have it. Did, it actually did fairly well. So it, that's okay. why they that's why they decided to do another continue. Transformers movie that's directly continued. Now they it's been in sort of development hell, which is why we didn't get what appeared to be a direct sequel. We'll see how much they reference this movie. I was gonna but, say because it is uh it is a bold move to have how many five Transformers movies and then decide to just say, fuck it, let's throw it all away and start over again because no franchise has ever done this and it's never, you know, not succeeded wildly. Uh, we'll see how th- how it goes this time because it's been half a decade apparently since this movie was released because I remember this being released and went, oh, that's quaint. I don't care. But that's why that's why Nate's around. Nate is around to to force me to watch (laughs) movies that I wouldn't have done on my own. And then I go, okay, that was pretty okay. Right. On to the next thing. I yes, I I, aside from the false 80s nostalgia, because I'm going to I'm going to blatantly state it. It's false 80s nostalgia, because in no way you're going to watch this movie and go, man, this sure feels like an 80s movie because go watch Back to the Future, which is an 80s movie, and you'll go, man, this feels like an 80s movie. This is a impersonation of an 80s movie. This is, this is, how old is, how old is, uh, what's his nice his name, Knight? The director. Knight? Oh, Travis Knight. Uh, Travis I, Knight. I think he's, I think he's in his late 40s. I, I could be wrong on that. Okay. Um, so he did experience the 80s. Okay. Because, yes. I'm always suspicious when I see a movie that blatantly just tries way too hard to emulate an era. And it's it's like, mm-hmm. you're not fooling me. I was there. I know what the 80s felt like, and this isn't quite it. You know, it's like, it's trying mm-hmm. real hard. But, you know, it's okay. I, I, I don't have to... You don't have to put black and white on a film to make it look like the 50s, you know? You don't have to yeah. do that. That's that's like, you don't have to go full noir. I'm just saying it doesn't, like, you're not going to go, wow, what an 80s movie that was. It's not fooling yeah. me. But at the same time, I did overall just like it as a Transformers film. But I think it fails on the nostalgia, and I think it fails somewhat on the script, and it certainly fails on some of the characters. But I'm willing to give it a pass despite mm-hmm. and and it's not a bias either because nate knows i'm not a huge transformers fan like i grew up with it but it's not like it's it's not star wars it's not star trek it's not even BattleTech. but it um but but i'm willing Which to we will talk about in part two yeah but it but it it tried and i'll give it a pass yeah. for trying that's all i can say is it's it is worth a watch if if the transformers Michael Bay series left a bad taste in your mouth. Well, you could do worse than this. Yeah, I think that's fair and interesting. And I did check it up. Travis Knight is actually 50. So it, it checks out. He did experience the 80s uh, and probably like many of us were was heavily influenced by them. But I think production, when you have this kind of money, even though it's the smallest budget Transformers film, when you have this kind of money, you often get that overly designed element like i think actually if you really want to know like an 80s vibe especially if you're like midwest or not the coast stranger things the first couple of seasons that's that's pretty 80s and you know what it's kind of the same as now but without cell phones uh with no internet so you know there you go uh interestingly travis knight does have a new movie coming out uh, through like uh, it's written by one of the right chris butler one of the writers of many like a movie, it's called Wildwood, and it's uh, kind of a spooky one. They're returning to sort of a Coraline vibe. I'm very excited. But 
I also am going to recommend Bumblebee. It's it's also one of those films you can watch with your kids. I mean, it's there's nothing in it that's terrible. I think um, it has the potential to be kind of a nice movie, especially for um, for girls because the lead is a girl and she doesn't really have a relationship with a guy to define her. Um, I, I do think that works in, in many ways. Uh, I think Haley Stanfield did a good job. I think all the actors actually did a pretty good job. Uh, but I just wish that they were given a little bit more depth uh, across across the board, except for maybe Haley Stanfield, who does have a lot of scenes. So I recommend this movie. Is it perfect? No. Is it the best live action Transformers interpretation we've gotten? I think so. If you're looking for a, a big budget smashing robots fight, though, you are going to have to go to the Michael Bay's because uh, there we get some good fights in here, but not it, it's the beginning and the end. That's that's it. The beginning and the end have that and the rest of it is uh is sort of promised for the future you get quality so, over quantity because it's true. after you, all you do. like i said a little too much in those michael bay films where it's it true. just starts smearing together in a gray goo right yeah i mean really let's face it the only time you get battles that you really remember from the michael bay transformers for those of us that have seen them are involving optimus prime often also involving megatron because those are pretty brutal fights. When when Optimus gets his sword, it's it's pretty brutal. And, you know, because they're robots, he could spatter oil-looking blood all over the place, and nobody was like, oh, my God, uh, even though it was pretty pretty gross, actually, when you think about it. So it, it's a toss-up. But again, this movie isn't two hours and 35 minutes as uh, Transformers 3 Dark Side of the Moon was. So thank you all for listening. I want to say, please make sure you like and subscribe if you're watching the video. Give us all the... Uh, stars all the highest rating wherever you find your podcast it really helps us because people see that and it also helps the algorithms of the uh, podcast providers put us a little higher and get more and more and we can continue to improve and get you more stuff so please go over to our website coltonclassicfilms.com sign up for our free newsletter you can find out all sorts of neat stuff and we won't sell your information i promise because that's rude and we are not rude unless you're michael bay and i guess we were a little rude Thank you so much. Play us out as always is the Chud, and join us next week for part two of Robo Rumble. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.